I'm Travis Bader, and this is the Silver Core Podcast. Join me as I discuss matters related to hunting, fishing, and outdoor pursuits with the people and businesses that comprise the community. If you're new to Silvercore, be sure to check out our website, www.silvercore.ca, where you can learn more about courses, services, and products that we offer, as well as how you can join the Silvercore Club, which includes 10 million in North America-wide liability insurance to ensure you are properly covered during your outdoor adventures. In this episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Murray Gardner, a highly influential figure in the firearms training industry and one of the co-founders responsible for bringing the International Practical Shooting Confederation into Canada. Travis here with the Silver Core Podcast. I'm sitting down with a nine-time National Practical Shooting Confederation champion. He's the first person to ever win eight times in a row from 1978 to 1985. He's a firearms instructor, a safety consultant. If you've ever done your firearm safety course and watched any of the videos, you've probably seen this gentleman. Welcome, Murray Gardner. Thanks, Travis. So, Murray, I want to talk to you a little bit about IPSEC, the International Practical Shooting Confederation, your time teaching in the sport, being a firearms instructor, a little bit about your journey throughout this. So can you tell me what got you into the shooting sports in general? A white milk truck. Go on. I was building custom motorcycles. I had uh, probably one of the largest chopper shops in Western Canada, or Canada for that fact, importing from California and building custom bikes. And I was out tooling around one morning on a Saturday at 25th and night, headed uh, towards Kingsway where my shop was. I stopped, left it in gear, of course, watched the rearview mirror to make sure nobody's going to hit me from behind. Car behind me stopped, put it in neutral, and bam, a milk truck. Brakes failed. Ouch. Thought there was a spot open where I was. There wasn't. Knocked me down, just about broke my pelvis. All it worked was my right hand, and a buddy had been talking to me about, oh, let's learn to shoot pistol. And I, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Well, now I had time. Went and bought an Arminius 22 revolver, cheap version of a Python. I think it was 160 bucks. And then about five months and uh, $4,000 worth of guns later. And you have to remember, my house was $45,000 at the time. This is quite an investment. Yeah, yeah. 10% of your house is what I spent in four months. You just jumped right into the deep end. Yeah, go big or go home. Yeah. Yeah, on and off, my two speeds. <laughs> and we had everything. We had double axe on this and single axe on that and Smiths and 44s, you know, everything. Anything nickel is like a crow. If it was shiny, I bought it. Uh-huh. And... Uh, we started playing around, and we came across something called Cooper on Handguns. It's the Red Book. Right. And it was this combat shooting, advanced combat shooting it was called. So Blair Molesbury, where I went to his range, it was the old Duncan's range shooting trap down on, uh, in Delta. And we ran into a guy named Rod Phillips, who's one of my motorcycle customers, also a gun junkie. We started doing these combat shoots out in the backwoods of, uh, of Duncan's. And, of course, right. <laughs> we couldn't tell anybody we were doing it because we were doing it. And then Ken Rooney came along and joined us. In about uh, 76, and we'll give you the whole Unreader's Digest version of this. Yeah. In uh, early October of 76, Handgunner, or Gun, Guns Magazine came out. And it talked about the Columbia Conference, May in Columbia. A guy named Jeff Cooper had put it together. Of course, Cooper's the one who wrote the Red Book. Right. And they'd formed the IPSC of 16 countries, International Practical Shooting Confederation, IPSC. So I tried to track down Rick Miller as a writer of the article, and he wasn't available, but they said, get a hold of this Jeff Cooper guy. He's got a radio telephone on his ranch, gun site in Arizona. If you think you have bad cell reception, try a radio telephone in 1976. No kidding. Yeah, couldn't track him down. 
Yeah. Tracked down Bert Estes, another guy in Texas, and he said, oh, yeah, we're having a Northwest Championships in a week, 10 days. And I went, wow, Northwest Championships. I bet we're going to be in Seattle. Maybe Bellingham would be great, even Tacoma. And I said to him, where is it located, this Northwest Championships? He says, in Gridley, California. <laughs> I said, where the hell is Gridley, California? 55 miles north of Sacramento. I said, you think that's the Northwest? <laughs> you, you got a whole surprise called Oregon before you get to the Northwest called Washington State. No kidding. So I went to see the boys at practice and I asked them questions in a very important sequence. First sequence was, hey, you guys want to shoot one of those Ipsic matches? Oh, yeah, man, we got to do that. Okay, got them hooked. Second question, when? 11 days from now. No problem, we can do that. And the question they should ask first, where is it? Uh-huh. Gridley, California. Where the hell is Gridley, California? <laughs> 55 miles north of Sacramento. Now, we've got no internet, no Google, no maps. We've got a road map. How do we get to Gridley? I don't know. Dig the map out. Okay, down I-5. Rod's van. We loaded Rod, Roddy's van up. We have no idea. We have pythons. We have 1911s. We have about 1,000 rounds of ammunition, and the wheels are barely touching the ground as we drive down I-5 in Rod's loaded van. No problem. <laughs> Get to Gridley, look up a guy named Keith Hamilton. We shoot 72 rounds, 16 hours one way. Drive home, get home at 4 in the morning, go to work, sort of. <laughs> that was in uh, October of 76. Went back in November, shot the Hangtown Hassle in uh, Grass Valley, California, with a guy named Walt Comstock. And anybody who should sip knows something called Comstock Count. Yes. That's Walt Comstock. I got to meet Walt Comstock. Very cool. Yeah. Took December off, went back in January. It was Rod and it was Elder, uh, Elder Jeske, yeah. Zeke. Yeah. We go down in Rod's van again. We shoot another match. So we're three out of four months. We're in California. Roddy says, you know, my van's not going to do this forever. All righty. Let's cross our fingers. We'll put a match on February 13th, 77, Thompson Mountain. My mom's birthday, you know. Even yeah. then, I couldn't do the things I was supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> we think if we get 25 people, we'll, we'll be okay. We had 42. We've never looked back. Wow. Just took off. That's how it started. So you you and these other gentlemen brought Ipsic essentially, into Canada. Yeah, we were, we were the co-founders. We then moved on. We had something called the Northwest Pistol, Northwest Pistol League, uh, Western International Practical Shooting League. There you go, Whipple. Whipple, yeah, we, right, right. we went down and showed the Americans how to shoot Ipsic. We yeah. do our own courses. We do training programs down across the line. Board was a little more uh, porous than it is right now. Right, yeah. Try doing that now. Yeah, well, we could do it, but there's a lot more pay for it. There is. Yeah. There is. So you're still competing? I, I always tell people in my firearms courses, I started as a competitive competition shooter, and now I'm a recreational competition shooter. <laughs> so we were emailing back and forth just recently, and you're at a competition. Where yeah. was that one? That was in Quebec, wasn't it? I was at a, a record-breaking match. It was the 42nd Annual Ipsic Canada National Championships. Okay. Record-breaking because it was on a military base, and you had to see the backstop. Yeah. It was four kilometers away. Wow. 25-millimeter <laughs> <25 laughs> cannon range. Oh, yeah. beautiful. No way you're shooting over that backstop. No. And it was also the first time ever a Nationals were held in Quebec. They really, really? put themselves... They, they got the military to play ball with them because, of course, Quebec's got some strange range rules Sure, where you can't see the sky and pull the trigger. <laughs> I can't figure out how you shoot trap and skeet, but that's their problem. That's one of the rules over there, is it? I think that is, and that's why they haven't been able to do too much outdoors. They're indoors or at the military base. They've got a great relationship with the military base. Uh, whoever the commander is there, I need to write them and commend them for helping our sport grow even better. 
And the week before that, I had a week off. And before that, I was in Williams Lake, Nanaimo, Salmon Arm. I'll be in Prince George this weekend. You're going to just be doing this on and on forever? Is that the plan? Or well, My wife says, when are you going to quit? One or two reasons, honey. One, it's not fun, and I don't see that happening. Right. Because so far, 42 years, it's always been fun. Or two, more likely, I can't. Sure. The body part says you can't. Now, my eyes have told me I can't, and I fixed that with an open gun. Yeah. And my speed, foot speed is gone. But every now and then, I get to light one up, and they go, oh, no, he can still turn one on every now and then. <laughs> so those are my high spots. Shoot a match clean, uh, meet all the great people involved in the sport, have a good time, find some new meals for my uh, little web blogs I put out where good food, yeah. best chocolate cake, best Starbucks. That's kind of where I'm at right now with my career. So I've looked at the uh, the original firearm safety course program. We saw the videos, even the pictures in the book. There's a striking resemblance to yourself in there. Isn't that a coincidence? How did that happen? <laughs> well, that was one of those things. And uh, I, I was involved with a group called the BC Federation of Shooting Sports back in the, oh my goodness, that's probably 82, 83. And it was actually a job, which is alien to me because usually I try and avoid work like the plague. <laughs> But a guy named Bill Allman had confidence in me, and he said, we need a development coordinator. We have an executive director. We want you to be the development coordinator. You'll be building training people and bringing programs from the National Coaching Certification Program of the Shooting Federation of Canada and teaching coaches and running those programs for us. Yeah, sure, I can do that. Didn't have a clue if I could, but my mom taught me how to lie right to get a good job. <laughs> absolutely, I <laughs> yeah, can. Yeah, absolutely, I can. Yeah. yeah, I passed that on to the girl who does my webpage now, too. Oh, yeah. And that's for you, Tracy. <laughs> Absolutely, she can. Yeah, yeah, sure, I can make a web page. Yeah, not a problem. Liar. <laughs> but now she said, What do you want your web page to be? I said, Make it a magnet to money. And how's that working? Well, at one point she phoned and I said, Make it stop. Oh, <laughs> so she's doing it, I, eh? I, it's way too busy. I'm shipping, I'm ordering, I can't keep stocking. She said, There's no off switch. Uh, good for her. Yeah, so anyhow, that's where I kind of got started. And, uh, so I was involved with that, and uh, we ran the Hunter Education Corps program, firearms component for the government. Right. And they split it up. Uh, Open Learning Institute did the academic part of it. Uh, I trained 160 of the firearms instructors in the Corps program. We wrote the manual for that. I managed all of their results, trained them, audited everything of that. And then that changed about 1989-ish. Around there. Yeah, yeah they pulled around, it out. Yeah, they, they, they then redid it. Right. And uh, the shooting sports had been sort of broken apart by government. They got their own money through their own sources. Mm -hmm. And I sat my board down and one night at a board meeting and I said, you have to fire me. And they said, what? I said, you have to fire me. The program's changed. Our revenue stream is changing. You can't afford me any longer. Are you sure? I said, what do you pay me now? Well, we pay you this much. Do you get good advice for that? Yeah, this is good advice. You have to fire me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they fired me on my own advice. <laughs> I've never, never had myself fired. I, you know, fire yourself. Yeah. So I took a year off. I took EI for a year, sat down at the interview, and the woman said, what do you do for work? So I told her, she said, we're never going to find you a job. I said, yeah. I know I'm, I'm the only guy in Canada that does this. So I took a year off, got sponsored by Springfield Armory. Very nice. Uh, with Carrie Lathwell, who was ladies' world champion in 86. We got to brag up on Carrie. She did a great job. And Springfield sponsored me. And I said, you guys don't have any guns in Canada. So I took on doing wholesale Springfield guns, mm -hmm. promoted that. That changed, and I went with uh, EAA, Witness, Tenfolio, did that for a while for them. And then sort of got into just shooting competitively, started teaching a lot. And about that point, around 92, 93, somebody came to me and said, we need some uh, people to sit down to develop the Canadian Firearms course, and we know you're involved. Right. Yeah, sure. 
So we went out to Richmond to Sil- uh, not Silver Core, <laughs> Claymore. Claymore, there <laughs> yeah, you go. Yeah, yes. The name of the company. I uh, met a great guy named Tom. Uh, oh, it'll come to me in another senior moment. Anyhow, Tom sat us down and said, here's how we're going to do this. And we put all the sheets up on the wall. Everybody wrote their idea down on sticky paper. We built it from there. So I helped develop the basic program. Then I walked away from that. So there, it's fine. About three weeks later, I got a call from Tom. Listen, we're having trouble finding somebody to write the ammunition component. Could you help us with that? Yeah, sure, I can do that for you. So I wrote that, and then they said, well, could you help us with the, uh, the, uh, the marksmanship component? Yeah, I can do that. Can you help us with it? Next thing you know, I'm in Nova Scotia teaching the master firearms instructors how to teach the firearms course. Nice. And then I'm in a Callowit, and then I'm over here, and then I'm in the island. So, a guy named Dorian Boswell and I were the two master instructors for the Canadian firearms course. Between us, we trained 500 master instructors who then trained the instructors, plus I trained probably other instructors. And after doing the firearm safety course consulting mm-hmm. and helping put the program together, you've done general safety consulting. I think you've done range maintenance, management, creation programs out there. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I got into that. Uh, actually, a lawyer in Seattle called me up. They had a range I shot at down there. Uh, and the neighbors miles away were saying, oh, bullets are landing in our backyard. He said, I need you to come in and do an analysis. of Is that possible? Is that probable? What's the likelihood of it? So we sat down, did all the drawings, did a research study. It was about a 40, 60-hour project, and the range was able to stay there. Surprise. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've heard that one before. Yeah, well, it wasn't the last time. I worked for the Greater Vancouver Region, uh, Water District in the Coquitlam River uh, watershed where the Mounties had a range there. I did mm-hmm. a s- safety assessment on that. And I did another one at Pacific Shooters in North Van where they put the new water plant in. Right. Yeah. So those are a couple of pr- some of the projects I worked on. Very cool. Yeah. So you're shooting an STI now, right? I'm shooting STI. Got my first one in 91 when Chip McCormick uh, came up with him. He had McCormick magazines, which were the way to go. Yeah. Chip and uh, Virgil Tripp and Sandy Strayer all got together. And they said, we're going to build a modular pistol. It's interesting because we've been reading old American handgunner magazines from 92, 91, 93. And it's all coming up there. And new companies are saying, oh, we're going to put STI out of business. They'll never take off. Uh-huh. Surprise. Yeah, I know that. Ordered the first one. With my serial number was MDG001. I love it. Waited. The guns came. Shooting them ever since. And yes, that's what I'm running right now. It's the DVC Open. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a uh, the muscle break, the uh, compensator on your STI. Yeah, I, I did something I tell people never to do last year at Nationals in Winnipeg. I fell in love with a gun. And I always tell them, don't fall in love with guns. They're just guns. There's lots out there. They're not marriages. They don't take half everything you own when they leave. <laughs> They're just an affair. You get together, everybody has a good time, party's over, go your separate ways, no hard feelings. So I fell in love with this gun, and it was 5965 lists. And uh, Frugal's my middle name. Some people call it cheap. I said, I know where a good used one is back in Vancouver. I know the guy well. I came back. He sent me a picture. I went, yep. We set a price for the gun and some magazines and stuff. Went to the range. Tack driver. Even with my bad eyes, it was a tack driver. Yeah. Ran 150 rounds through it. Ran like a watch. Done deal. That's Tuesday. Thursday, I'm out at Abbotsford practicing, going away to Prince George. I think I'll run this gun this weekend instead of my main gun. Oh, wait, I've got oil on the comp. Oh, that's not oil. That's a hairline crack on both sides. Oops. Back to the original picture. No hairline crack. Oh, no, I've broken it. So with heavy heart, I sent an email off to Freedom Ventures, my buddy Sean. Sean, uh, not having a good day. Comp's broke. What's the warranty on the comp? He writes back, there's no warranty on the comp. We're going to give you a brand new gun to exchange it. 
Really? Wow. Yeah, really. And you don't need the silver one. If you want the new blackout model, we'll give you that. Well, okay. And if you don't want an eight-minute dot in the RTS-2, we'll put a 12-minute, because I know you like a 12-minute dot, and we'll take all the accessories off the other gun and put it on the new one. No charge. This will cost you nothing. Well, if I must. <laughs> Twist my arm. Yeah. Yeah. Smooth talker. Yeah. Gun showed up, ran it, runs great. Took it over to Joseph Wu at, uh, he just started kind of what we call momentum, doing trigger work and gun work. Did it up all red and black for me. Anybody who knows me, red and black, you got to have red and black, the only yep. colors in the world. Yeah. Took my trigger from two pound nine ounce down to one pound seven ounce. Wow. Wow. Love it. Love it. Use it at nationals, ran like a watch. Nice. Yeah. So I've always wondered, the D, Murray Doc Gardner. Yeah. How'd you get that? Didn't know for years. People called Doc, how'd you get your name? I, I don't know. So we were standing around talking about that. Somebody said, why do they call you Doc? And Rod Phillipson says, MD, you sign everything, MD Gardner, that's your signature, MD Doc. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll go with that. So I just kind of hung on and uh, used it ever since. I got the doc. Somebody says you're the doctor because you're always fixing things. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's the nature of the game in Ipswich too. Yeah. Always uh, tinkering, fixing the guns, working on... Uh... Oh, no, no, no. You don't let me touch your gun. Yeah, not you? No, no, no. My hands do three things. Anybody in Ipswich will tell you, Murray's hands do three things. First thing involves a knife and fork. Yeah. Because I like food. Second thing involves a trigger. Yeah. Third, count money. <laughs> Other than that, useless. If you want me to put up a hammer and a nail and put a board up, I'm not your guy. You need electrical work done, find somebody who's good at it. My wife loves the way I paint the house. Takes a checkbook and a pen. Yeah, yeah. It's about how I do it too. I'm the worst. I get paint everywhere. Yeah. Then if she doesn't like the paint job, she's not pissed off at me. So Joseph Wu, he's the guy to send it to you. Joe's getting my work right now, man. I got to tell you, we, uh, we put some of his guns out at the Nationals and guys came by and tried triggers. We've got people changing religion from... Uh, their gun to STI to 1911 pattern after they tried his trigger. He has a pound and a quarter trigger in his gun. Wow. Yeah. So you've been doing this for a while. No, I've been doing it a long time. For a very, <laughs> for a very, you know, I look on your website, you've got a, a picture from 1978. I'm guessing that's from one of the first nationals that you won. I was born in 78 and there you are up there shooting. I have clothes older than you are. <laughs> and they fit. And you still, still wear them. They still wear them, Yes. <laughs> When I look back on some of the things that I've done, things that have been difficult for me to do over the years, but to repeat it, it's easy. I've gone down that path. I've been there. I'm sure you can look back through your Ipsic career. The learning process, of course, is important, but there's some things that you could probably do to really help speed up that process or maybe pass on to somebody else so that they can get from point A to point B in a more effective, efficient manner. What would that be? You got to get the fire in your belly. You got to want it. You got to be able to sacrifice for it. People always say, well, where do you find time to practice? I don't. You make it. I make it. Yes. Practice is Wednesday night, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. If it's winter, we're indoors. If not, you dry fire. You dry fire, dry fire and live fire five days a week. You eat, sleep, breathe, shooting. We shot every weekend. Mm -hmm. We shot in Seattle. We shot PPC. I shot Silhouette. Mm -hmm. I shot Black Powder. Pulling the trigger. Didn't matter. As you're pulling the trigger. I've won two national titles with borrowed guns. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't my plan. Believe me. That no. wasn't the way I planned to go. I was at the UK championships in 1980 in England, and I was coming back to Calgary for the nationals. So I flew into Calgary with my ammunition and a belt and my shooting glasses. 
and my holster and my two match guns and went somewhere to the Middle East. They, uh, they broke into my suitcase at Thiefro Airport. Right. Saw guns and went, where's it going? Going west. Put another belt headed east. It'll take mm. a while to find it. Showed up five weeks later. So I shop in Calgary, no gun. <laughs> wow. What are you going to do? Uh, let's see. I call the airlines, call the airlines. Finally, last day, I got to shoot. Randy Fisher, also one of our national champions, longtime shooter. Randy says, I'll lend you my gun. Well, thanks, Fish. Yeah. Somebody else says, I'll lend you a belt. I had ammo. I had about 800 rounds of ammo. Hardball. Yeah. So I start shooting with his borrowed gear. Fisher's following me along and following me along and following me along. As we get near the end of the match, he turns to somebody and said, do you ever see it slipping away and there's nothing you can do to stop it? Because he already <laughs> finished shooting. Yes. I beat him by about five points with his gun. Wow. Yeah. But he got me back for that in 88 when he won the national title. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's still an active competitor. Randy's, I got four years on Randy, so he's just a kid and he's only in 67. <laughs> Randy's actually the guy I did my black badge with. Yeah. Yeah. He's still out there teaching it. Yeah. Uh, he's retired, but he's also one of the, he's, he's not the founder founder, but he's certainly a long time active in the sport. Yeah. We, uh, we went to California, U.S. Nationals in 1978. He and I and another guy named Ross Dunn in a Honda Civic. <laughs> Not the Honda Civics, you know. These were a little bit bigger than a sardine can. Right, right, yes. And that was only a 24-hour one-way drive. Oh, man. You know, it's interesting when I hear guys, we've got a match in uh, Prince George this weekend. It's about an eight-hour drive. we got about 315 rounds we're going to shoot. And I'll say to guys, go to Prince George this weekend. Oh, I don't know, man. You know, like it's an eight-hour drive. It's only 350 rounds. Yeah, poor babies. You want to drive 16 hours one way and shoot 72? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you're looking for sympathy. You're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> So uh, black bats, yeah. so for people who don't know, if you want to get into IPSC, there's a mandatory rule, essentially, been talking about safety, talking about the rules, that's your black badge course. Yeah. How did you get involved with that? The black badge program, the national training program, started back, actually started in Ontario. We were doing a similar thing here, but it wasn't quite as, as stratified and organized. So they brought it out, and it was very onerous. There was all kinds of things you had to do in it. We said... People will be lucky to do that. You're chasing them away. You're making, you got the bar too high. As long as they're safe and they're having fun, bring them in. So we put it back together about 83. It really became truly national. And we built this called the Black Badge Program. We made it national. We did a little manual up for it. And we started to standardize it. And we decided that we needed a little more manual. And we improved it again. We standardized the teaching of the instructors. We used a very similar train-to-trainer program that was used for the Canadian Firearms Course. It worked. Sure. Why, why reinvent the wheel? That's right. You know, we tried that too many times. Yeah. And we now teach instructors. We had in BC, we did something a little different last year. We had an instructor seminar. We brought in as many current instructors as could make it into the Vancouver for the weekend at Poco and went through, how do you teach the grip? How do you do this? We're going to make all the program paperless. Everything's electronic now. Your evaluations, the students do an electronic evaluation on their phones. All your documentation is electronic. Your membership forms are electronic. Your, your course completion sheets are electronic. So we really moved ahead on that. Mm-hmm. We also did an instructor's course for seven instructors using the, teach, the train-to-trainer program. And now they have to go out and teach a couple of courses to get their final certification. So we increased our instructors by about 50%. The program, they're redoing the manual on the national basis. And uh, I've offered that what they should think about doing, and hopefully they will, right. go to a professional company with all your, it's like going to your account with your shoebox at the end of the year and going, fix this. Right. Do you want to make money or not make money? I don't want to make money. Okay. See, I happen to know a professional company that could probably help them. 
Yeah, I've heard there's a company called Silvercore that might be able to do that. Yeah, just Any truth to that rumor? Yeah, you know, I've, uh, <laughs> I, I could put out some feelers, but... <laughs> Hopefully, EPSA Canada will do take that advice and, and run with it. Uh, there's a lot of good volunteers with a lot of technical knowledge, but trying to get them away from the professional jobs to do something for us as volunteers, it's very hard to do. That's always a tough part, too. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, fortunately, nobody's willing to hire me, so I have lots of time on my hands to go out <laughs> and do stuff as a volunteer. So if somebody wanted to get into teaching Black Badge, how would they do that? Uh, there's a bunch of steps. First, you have to uh, shoot for a year, and we don't mean just show up once a year before you become a range officer. So after you can take the range officer's course. After you're being a range officer, and again, not just showing up at one or two matches, but getting experience, once you become a range officer, then you can apply to take the training course instructor's course. Mm. Uh, you sit that course, it's a two-day seminar, where you learn the mechanics of how to teach, how people learn. You also learn how to teach people to take the material in a standardized format that we use. And the primary focus of the course is nothing but safety. Right, because the black badge course is yes, it's shooting, but it's really a safety course on how to shoot Ipsic safely. Right, because that's what we want people to do is be safe, be safe, have fun, and mm -hmm. I always tell my class there's one thing I want you to do in your first match, only one of you can do it. The rest, you get disappoint me. I want you to come, absolutely last. Well, why do you want me to come last? Because you can come up from the bottom. <laughs> Next match, you could be second last. Yeah, if you're second last, you can go down. Yeah, it's always hard when you're at the top, you're top of the game. There's only one place for you to go. Well, that, as memory serves me, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so we brought the Black Badge course in, and anybody that wants to shoot Ipsic has to pass the Black Badge course and shoot a match. Once they've done that, we're pretty good. We've audited the system. We're comfortable you've made it through safely, and uh, on you go. So eight years in a row, you won the Nationals. Yeah. Eight years in a row. That's crazy. Yeah, freaked me out too. <laughs> Has anybody beaten that? Somebody's matched it. A guy named uh, Mike Burrell back in Ontario got eight straight. And he said, Mike, you can break the record. He couldn't make it the next year for health reasons. So when I saw him the next time, he said, well, start new. <laughs> Burrell's won a lot of matches. He's won Open. He's won other divisions. He is probably uh, one of the finest, if not the best, Ipsic shooter in Canada. He'll finish in the top 16 at the world. Wow. That's no easy task. No kidding. Yeah. That's tough to do. If you drop a point, you probably lose a position. You have a malfunction, you probably lost 10 or 15 positions. So I had a podcast here recently with a five-time national service rifle winner. Wow. And we talked about mental marksmanship, and he had a lot of really good insight on that. From the actual physical doing side for IPSEC, of course, knowing the rule book. I remember uh, just watching the IPSEC guys pulling that rule book out all the time. That's <laughs> Range lawyers. Right, exactly. That's, that's an important thing. Yeah. Uh, being able to physically pull that trigger, move your body around, do the basic body mechanics. But the psychological side, I got to imagine, to be able to do this eight times in a row, there's going to be a heavy psychological portion as well. Do you find that? Yeah, I always tell my students, matches are won or lost between your hearing protection. Mm -hmm. We can all hit the A zone. No student comes to me and can't hit the A zone. Right. That's easy. Just do it over and over quickly. Right. First guy, the last shot without a miss. We did a, when I was a development coordinator, I had great good fortune to be paid to learn how to teach people to learn mm -hmm. and had access to that. And we brought in a guy named Lanny Basham. Now, if anybody who shoots rifle, Lanny Basham, you'll hear, um... Oh, yes. <laughs> Everybody knows Basham. Yeah. He's won Olympic medal. He's won... Yeah, he won at Canada, actually, in Montreal. Right. Uh, he's won world championships rifle shooter. 
we did a seminar, two-day seminar with him. And I, I was his host, so I would go to dinner with him and pick him up, and we got a chance to talk privately. And, uh, yeah, it's all one and lost between the ears. Wow. Amazing. We changed our talk. One of the things I always tell my students, when I see you at a match and I say, how are you doing? Not like people say, hi, how are you? They don't really care. They're just trying to start a conversation. Exactly, yeah. I care. How are you doing? Mm-hmm. Here's what they tell me. Oh, man, I hit a no-shoot over there, and then I had a mic, a mic, a mic and miss mm-hmm. on the other target, and I didn't get to the swinger. I said, how many A's did you shoot? Oh, I don't know. So let me understand this. You're working and thinking real hard on everything you did wrong, and you're not thinking about what you did right. I play uh, bad golf very well. <laughs> and one of the tricks I use with my buddy, uh, Ivan Runyon, who's also a national champion in Alberta, I said to Ivan one day playing golf at a match, just as he stood on the tee, I said, Ivan, do you breathe in or out on the downswing? You can't believe how far he hit that ball off the fairway. I don't <laughs> think we found it. He'll never play golf again. <laughs> Put the seed in their mind. Yeah, Playing yeah, yeah. golf, don't hit the ball in the water. And that's think? all you're going to do is that's hit all, the ball in the water. Just go throw the ball in the pond right now. Get it over with because that's what you're thinking about. There's a local course over here. By God, every time I hit the, <laughs> that house, that roof. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I play with that guy too. Yeah, exactly. So what we started to do was we started to positive speak. How many A's did you shoot? How'd you do on that stage? They're pretty good. If you didn't do well, you do performance analysis. What went wrong? How do I fix it? Put it aside. Fix it when it shows up. Start talking, positive talk. I had a good run. I did this and that. Think about the positives. Work on the positive. You start thinking about negative, you're down that rabbit hole and it's not a good place to be. Yeah, it's hard to come out of, isn't yeah. it? Now, I'll guarantee you the first couple of years, absolute poop house luck. Come on, we're, we're, sure. we're all as bad as the other. Sure. We've been racing neck and neck. Got lucky in 78. Didn't do bad in 79. My 80 was, wow, three. 81 was, let's see, oh gosh, got another one. 82, ooh, look at that. 83, come on. 84, 84 was a bit of an excitement. We went to Ontario. Okay. We had a thing called the shoot-off that you did the shoot-off and added points to your score, which means you could finish first over five days of shooting, go in the shoot-off, have a gun jam, and 16th. Ooh, yeah. So we go to 84, and John Shaw's there. John's top shooter, he had a gun jam. Thank you, gun gods. (laughs) The guy who won the match was Mike Toma. We said to Mike, Mike, we're going under a shoot-off. You're the, you're the national champion as far as we're concerned. Oh, no, shoot-offs are a great idea. And then Mike, they're, they're crap. Shouldn't even be in a rule book. Mm. No, 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 shoot-off's a good idea. You know where this bus is going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first round, Mike's gun jams. <laughs> Mike becomes 16th overall. I get lucky. The only guy to beat me in the shoot-off is John Shaw. I end up with enough points. I win national title again. Wow. 85. Thought another guy had it. Said to me, I think you got it, man. I mean, I haven't... I haven't blitzed any stages. Mm. You know, I've got maybe one stage win out of 15, a couple of seconds, a couple of thirds. Never out of the top five. Yep, won that one too. Yeah. He was beating me on stages. Guys were getting first all over the place. But when they fell off the mountain, they fell all the way to the bottom of the hill. And that's so the, the mental yeah, side. Stay consistent. Right. Yeah. Don't worry about the other guys. I see guys, matches, they used to go look at the scoreboard. They had they barely finished pulling the trigger on the stage. Mm. I said, you think you can change that score? No. What's going to happen is one of two things. You're going to think, look at how good I did. I'm invincible. You're going to screw the next stage up because you're going too hard. Mm-hmm. Or you can look and go, I'm a turkey. I can't do this game. And if you say you can't, you're right. Don't look at the scoreboard. Not going to change. Go out, take your best shot. Let the chips fall where they may. So do you not look at the scoreboard until, until the end? How does that work for you? I walk off a stage. I look at, we, we use tablets now. Right. 
in some of the history of Ipsic, I always fall back and say, have you got the watch and whistle? Because we used to blow a whistle and hit a stopwatch, a manual stopwatch yeah. to time people. Now we have electronic timers to a hundredth of a second. We have a tablet. You hit approved. Your score's entered in. We can have stats results in five minutes. Right. We used to use four hours to shoot and five hours to score a match. <laughs> now we score it in five minutes. I push the tape. I look. Everything's there. Everything's recorded the way it's supposed to be. I hit approve and I step away. They hand me a copy, printed copy of my results. I put it in my bag. How'd you do on that stage? That's clean. What was your time? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. It was there. It was recorded. I don't know. I can't change it. Right. You mean to tell me if I know what it is, I can make it shorter? No. <laughs> well, then why would I care? And that's what you'd suggest to anybody else. Don't look. Just Stop looking at it. Her. You can't change it. Yeah. Work on the next one. Whether you did poorly or well, write it off. It's history. What about dry fire practice? Are you doing a lot of that? I could lie to you like a sidewalk. Oh, yeah, I dry fire three days a week, uh, 15 yeah, minutes yeah. a day. Not anymore. Yeah. Years ago you did. Oh, yeah. I, trust me, I drank that Kool-Aid. I would dry fire three days a week, live fire, then shoot a match. Yeah. You know, we were burning lots of ammunition, lots of time. 15 minutes of dry fire is plenty. Hmm. And I share that from Basham. He said, we're like dogs. You ever train your dog for an hour? And then at the end of the hour, try to give him the first thing you taught him an hour ago. And yeah, goes, good luck. What? We're not much smarter than dogs with training. Hmm. Focus. Focus on one thing. I have what I call my uh, performance triangle where you train to do something, which is 10 to 15 minutes a day. You do that two, three days a week. Then you go practice. Practice is live fire. You can train at home. You don't have to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about training in dry fire is you don't have to go anywhere. It's free. But the best part is every shot's a perfect A. Right. All part of the mental management That's process. Right. All you're thinking about is A's. When I teach my students to shoot El Presidente, I say, you turn, you shoot two alpha, two alpha, two alpha, you reload, two alpha, two alpha, two alpha. Were you thinking about the D zone when I said two alpha? You can't because your conscious mind can think of one thing at a time. Right. So you think about alpha. I like it. They'll say, uh, did you hit, did you, how are you going to shoot that target with a no shoot? I'll say, what no shoot? (laughs) Well, the one over there, I said, deny its existence. Mm. If you're thinking about it, you're going to put the sights on it and pull the trigger. Yeah. Just deny it exists. Yeah, Our goal is to hit the brown part. Put the sights on the brown part, press the trigger. Then I go to practice. Practice is live fire. Does the training pay off? That's a, I spend about an hour, shoot about 200 rounds, okay. focused on a particular job. Maybe we're shooting swingers. Maybe we're having trouble with steel. Maybe we're strong hand or weak hand. But it's, I'm, I'm going to work. Mm-hmm. Then you go to a match. Match, beep, that's it. No alibis. Just go. Just go. You take the performance analysis from that, say, okay, I need to improve on this. You go back, you train. Then you go to match, then you go to, then you go to practice, then you go to match. Just corner to corner of the triangle. So 71 years old now. How do you find... Doesn't sound old, does it? <laughs> you don't no. look old. Well, I'll tell you the definition of old. Old is 15 years older than whatever age you are now. Yeah, exactly. So those 86-year-old guys are really old farts. <laughs> Until, until you're up to the 86. Yeah, well, when I was 56, God, 71 looked a long ways away. <laughs> it's like Rockefeller. How much more money do you need? Just $1 more, <laughs> yeah, right? right. Just, yeah, just $1 no, more. Just another year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So keeping up with some of the new shooters in the sport, is that proven to be quite difficult? No, it's a chore. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's a chore. Little bastards are really quick. Right. <laughs> We have a young fellow, Thomas Hess, uh, up in northern BC. Just a dream to shoot. He came out to shoot the first match. He said, oh, I've got a SIG P226. He said, that's too bad. <laughs> I'm a gun snob. If it's not 1911, it's sure. not a gun. It's like motorcycles. If it's not made in Milwaukee, it's not a bike. Right, right. <laughs> Old school. So Thomas said, well, I'll meet you at the match at 730 in the morning, and I'll get that holster from you and put it on my rig. I said, no, you're not. 
One, because at 7.30, we shoot at 8. I'm not thinking about you. You know, don't, I don't want to bust your balloon, but you're not the person I'm thinking about at that time of day. Why don't you show up on Friday evening? We'll put your rig together. Showed up, watched him shoot. This kid can shoot. Mm -hmm. He gets a real gun. We're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Well, a little bastard's got a real gun. He's got an open gun and does he light it up? Last year, Williams Lake, I was shooting with him. 32 round stage, which is the max. I looked at our times and I said, uh, How old are you? He says, I'm 25. I said, Okay, here's the deal. You owe me a second time for every decade older than you that I am. So you owe me four and a half seconds of stage. <laughs> we were four seconds apart on almost every wow. stage. Yeah. Wow. Now he's seven seconds. So I've lost one. He's gained one. Wow. He, uh, he was great at nationals. I believe he was third Canadian. He was on our open team. Kid's got a real future in this game. What do you see for the future of IPSEC? If we take the path that I hope we take, which is to turn more professional, we're at the point now with just over 3,000 members nationally. Not volunteer work anymore. You need a professional to manage your business. And the professional should be someone who's not an IPSEC shooter. Mm -hmm. So I'm not pitching for a job. I don't want a job. I've never wanted a job. I've managed to avoid them. Get a professional in to manage you. He'll have about a three to five year life sh shelf life before it's time for him to move on and you to move on from him. Mm -hmm. Have him look at your needs, wants, and requirements. Have him put that together for you. We're getting close in BC. We're just over 720 members right now. Okay. It's just getting to be almost out of reach of uh, a volunteer. We're going to have to pay to have people manage our web page. We're going to have to pay to have people manage other things. Mm -hmm. And that's a great sign. Well, that's going to cost money. I know that. That's why you charge the fee. That's why you manage your business, your sport like a business. If you that's don't have your sport like a business, you're going to be as successful as somebody who doesn't handle their business. Mm -hmm. And we seem to be on track. Good. So I got to ask. Yeah. What's it take to get you in pants? Yeah, shorts have sort of been my trademark for, for the longest time. And it goes back to when I was a Boy Scout years ago. In our scout group, if you wore shorts, you wore shorts everywhere. You wore shorts right. to uniform, you wore shorts at camp. If you showed up in long pants, they cut the pants off and you wore shorts. And that was just sort of a, a trademark. Right. And it kind of stuck with me. So I, knew, yes, I, I do wear long pants. If my wife and I are going out, she'll ask a non-question, are you wearing shorts? It's not a question. Right. No, that's a statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you wearing long pants? Mm -hmm. Apparently I am, yes. yes. Yes, no, I'm wearing pants. Yes, and I do own them. I uh, actually went out and bought a new pair a couple of years ago, so I go to the bank with AG at uh, the Nationals looking good. <laughs> One year I snuck away. She wasn't there, so I got to be rogue. And I wore a jacket and a dress shirt, a dress tie, black shoes, black knee socks, and Bermuda shorts. <laughs> <laughs> and my tie had a fish head on the end, which you couldn't see until I opened my jacket up. Oh, Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. When that word got back to her, ooh. Oh, shit, that went over well. Yeah, yeah. She, I think she burnt the tie. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, is there anything else that we should be talking about? Is there anything that uh, we haven't brought up that we should be talking? Some of the things that... My, my missionary work is to get people involved in shooting IPSC. Uh, my classes this year, I've, I've uh, taught about 85 people to shoot IPSC this year. And you consider I've got about a 20-match shooting schedule... Uh, occasionally that lady I live with likes to see me, so we take some time off for that. Plus, I teach courses, of course, for Silver Corps, help out with that. There's not a lot of time left. But mm -hmm. my work is to see how many IPSC shooters we can get. And that's my goal. I want to spread the gospel. Rod and Blair and I started a year ago. <laughs> Three crazy bastards with a bunch of guns running around shooting at stuff. Yeah. And I always thought it was fun when we used to take it to the clubs and say, you know, we want you guys to shoot IPSC. Well, that's dangerous. 
Why is that? You're running with a gun in your head. Yeah. Tell me the part that's dangerous. Well, you're running with a gun in your head. We heard you the first time. What's dangerous? You're running with... It's not like we're running with scissors. We know that's dangerous. We've been told that since <laughs> we were kids. And then eventually start to understand, no, this works. Very high standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in our game, safety is our watchword. We want to make sure that everybody on the range has passed that 16 hours. You don't just show up with a gun like in some countries. You say, yeah, you want to shoot Ipsic? Yeah, you got a gun? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. You got a gun? Good. That's a good starting point. That let's get you into the proper gear. And we're happy to consult with people. All of our instructors will sit down and talk to you. I always say, uh, you can meet me at my office and pay my consultant's fee. What's that? It's a venti mocha frappuccino from Starbucks. Six pumps of mocha, four layers of caramel. No whip because there's too many calories. <laughs> yeah, we've got another instructor. He's, he's got his G&T questions. Someone asks him a question. He says, no, no, that's a G&T question. What do you mean? Well, that's for after. You buy me a gin and tonic, I answer your question. <laughs> yeah, that's Same. my consultant's fee. Yeah, exactly. Same yeah. sort of thing there. Yeah. The politics behind firearms in the world, in Canada, there's a lot that we read about. Quite often it's from a a negative side. There's a negative connotation behind it around owning firearms. It can elicit some very visceral, emotional responses from people. And it's not something that I see going away anytime soon. Where do you see the future of just firearms, firearm ownership, just being able to use them in a competitive way or just in a personal way here in, in Canada at least. Well, I got run down in 74. I had to go to the Delta Police Department to get a permit to pick up the gun at Hunter Sporting Goods in Kingsway. So I went in and they had all these rules and all these standards. Yet, great, good, I'm, I'm, I like rules. Fill all the rules out. There's got to be a purpose for this. Otherwise, why would they do it? The government would just come up with a bunch of things to do. Then we got into the FAC in 1978 about that point, I'd been at it four or five years, and I started to realize that this has got nothing to do with people's safety. Mm-hmm. This has got to do with people deciding they've got an agenda. And what that agenda is, is it stayed the same. 42 years later, I ask the same question every time a new law comes up. When you mandate this law and it goes into place, what positive change will we see? In other words, if we have X number of crimes committed with firearms, it'll be X minus this. Mm-hmm. They say we're going to, I was watching on the news last night. We're going to ban handguns in Toronto. From who? Yeah, very important question. From the people who are legally using them, following all the rules, not the bad guys. Mm -hmm. That's why they're bad guys. The term outlaw has a meaning outside the law. So whatever law you make, they don't care. They don't care what your magazine capacity is when they're going to commit a crime. And people don't see that. Well, it's emotional. You got to understand, I found that gun control is very emotional. It's not with the head, it's with the heart. Mm-hmm. And you can't switch people over. Gun laws don't stop crime. Not going to happen. Never has. We've got tons of them. Other countries have more prolific gun laws than we do, even more honest ones. They still have crime with firearm. Mm-hmm. You can't stop a bad guy being a bad guy. That's the nature of the beast. But the good guy is paying the price for the bad guy. Every time there's a crime with a gun, and every gun owner sympathizes with people who are victimized by crime and guns. Oh, Absolutely. There's no firearms owner who says, oh, we don't need any gun control. That's ludicrous. We need common sense controls. And we've had governments who've done that. They've said, it's not the firearm. Let's bring in laws that make it harder for people to get firearms. We're good with that. But the people who've got them, you've already tested them. You've already said, you've gone through 20 hours worth of training. You've passed a whole bunch of exams. You've sat with an instructor for a whole weekend. It's taught you all the standards that the government set. 
You're getting criminal record checked on a daily basis. Yeah. So you, this is all done. The good guys are being checked. They're the good guys. Certainly people have mental problems and mental health is something we should be spending money on. If they took the billion dollars they spent on the unsuccessful long gun registry and put it someplace else where mental health issues, crisis hotlines, that would have been great. Train more people in helping people who need help. Think about the good that could have been done. Oh, unbelievable. And now they keep talking about doing it again. Come on, we got to learn. <laughs> if it didn't work the first time. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering when people will start learning. Like just locally here in Delta, a number of years ago, we had a, well, we're a city of Delta now, but we're the corporation of Delta then. And corporation of Delta said, look, at, we're looking at banning any new firearms business in, in Delta. And they wanted to have a bit of a council meeting. I showed up, I had all of my notes prepared. The other business owners were in there as well. Some actually supported it and I just shook my head. Uh, I, I get the reasoning behind it. They thought this is great. Now, if I want to sell my business, I can sell it for more because no one else can be in here. I'm mm -hmm. going to be grandfathered in. I, I never agreed with that mentality and that thinking. I think it's short-sighted. I had all my objections in place. I did all my research and I'm standing up, feeling pretty good about myself as I go through. And I'm trying to remember the individual's name. I think it was Barry. Anyways, he says, uh, Travis, I'm going to stop you right there. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. He says, but this is politics. Like, isn't, I, isn't that the shock? Yeah. And I didn't know what to, he says, it's got nothing to do with what the statistics, if we think this is something that the people want, then we're going to explore doing it. Gun control is about money and votes. Right. We sat down with the attorney general when the magazine capacity standard came in in 93. Couldn't have high cap magazines. 10 for a uh, handgun, 10 for uh, five for semi-auto center fire rifles. Mm. We said, there was a caveat and it said exceptions could be made for competitive shooters. Great. We're competitive shooters. We've been doing this in 93. What's that? From 78 up. We got about 15 years doing this. Good. So we got together with Colin Gableman, who was AG at the time. And we brought in the BC Rifle Association. Uh, we brought in uh, Law Enforcement Shooters Association, a couple other groups, set the meeting up with him, showed up, sat down, started to say, here's what we're talking about. And he says, uh, well, they've got a firing pin or something in them. I looked around the room and said, why are we here? He, has, he hasn't given us the courtesy to understand the subject matter. Mm -hmm. And as we walked out, most truthful politician I ever heard was when he said to me, Murray, I can get more votes by not supporting a position than by supporting it. And so, that's essentially what it boils down to. That's what to. it boils down to. I thought, so it's not about public safety. We don't care about your public safety. Will you vote for me? Mm. Will you keep me at the trough here so I can keep getting my, my index pension after five years of a job? Mm. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, and <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Pension, what's that? Yeah, I get those. And by <laughs> the way, everybody who's working, I thank you on the last Wednesday of every month when my checks arrive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and those yeah. magazine capacities, that's another whole issue. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's trying to make people who don't understand, it's like trying to make rules about brain surgery and saying, Murray, we're going to do this in brain surgery. And I go, great, I think that'll be wonderful. What do you know about brain surgery, Murray? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But God, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is we're going to ban guns. That sounds great. Never happened. We're going to get rid of handguns. No, you're not. Never going to happen. What about doing something about the criminal? I, was, I had a policeman say to me one time, I want to get the guns off the street. I said, okay, so you're going to leave the criminals on the street, take the guns off. Well, uh, no, no, the gun on the street won't do anything all by itself. But the criminal, in and out of jail, doesn't make any sense. But again, it's emotional. Somebody uses a gun and commits a crime. Yes, that tears people's hearts apart, as it does everybody, gun owner or not gun owner. 
Oh, yeah. Now we need a whipping boy. We have to punish somebody for this crime. Normally, they, they'll take their own life. So we have to punish somebody. We can't get the guy who committed suicide with a gun. Who are we going to pick on? Look at those guys. They got guns. They're exactly the same. They have a gun. They must be bad like this guy was. Yeah, if we can just get rid of all of those guns, the bad yeah, guys will go. Yeah. It's, and I've, I've watched it for 42 years. It's the same language, the same bureaucrats. Is it getting worse? It's getting more onerous, but it's not getting... I mean, I still jump on an airplane, fly somewhere, and shoot a match. Mm-hmm. I got more paperwork. I have to spend a little more money. Uh, I have to educate the person at the gate, <laughs> the yes. airlines. We uh, we always joke how we went through this one airlines for we went through four different stalls. We all filled out the form. I came out one side. I had a white piece of paper. Person beside me had a yellow. Person beside me had a pink. Person beside me had nothing. <laughs> well, it wasn't that long ago we had a guy from where was he flying from? From uh, Vancouver to Ontario, or or maybe it was the other way around. But he gets on. I think it was Air Canada he was with, and. They didn't understand the rules and they ended up giving him his trigger locked lockbox gun <laughs> yes. to take on the plane. Yeah. And he gets to the other side, even though he explained, hey, here's the rules, here's all the things. And they said, no, no, this is what you have to do. They put him on the plane, gets to the other side and they try to charge him. I don't know what happened with that one. Did you ever follow that no, one? No, I never did follow that one up. Yeah. Uh, I had an interesting event when I went to Nationals a couple of weeks ago. A year or so ago, I went to Nationals, and they pull my bag, and I'm standing in line waiting for it. They're inspecting it, and they're inspecting this girls in front of me. They pull out a little pocket knife. They open the knife up, and I think, oh, that's too nice a knife. You're going to lose that. They fold it up and hand it back to her. So she walked by. I said, well, you got lucky. She said, yeah, it's the right length. I can carry it. Now, this year, I, <laughs> I go to get on. They drag my bag out. What's in there that's electronic? Oh, I've left a timer in my bag. That's fine. Mm. What's this? It's a holster. What's this? Oh, that's an Uplula mag charger. <laughs> Wrong answer. I should have said, it's a hand strengthener. <laughs> oh, hell, hang on. Now, my plane's getting ready to leave. I'm watching this guy walk around. Then the guy in the suit comes up. and I think, oh, no, I'm buggered. There's 50 bucks down the drain. Oh, we can't give this to you, sir. I said, it's a piece of plastic. But if you need to keep it, you keep it. They also took all my Allen head wrenches that were longer than about four inches. Oh, come but on. they let me keep the three-inch ones. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm going to dismantle the plane with the bigger ones while I'm in the air. Uh, or weaponize the Allen keys. Yeah, or, or I don't know what I was going to do with that up Lula mag charger. Well, that's a dangerous item. Apparently, according to them. And I was all incensed that I was going to write to traffic people and say, you know, your people, this is what this is. You, I thought, you know something? Pearls before swine. Yeah. Not worth the energy. Well, that's it. 50 bucks for that. How long is it going to take you to put this out and the effort that's going to be involved? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the guys in my squad, and when I told them that, they all laughed and they gave me a mag charger, so I had one anyhow. <laughs> it but, all worked out in the end. So I'm borrowing magazines, I'm borrowing mag chargers. I should have borrowed a gun. I always do better when you I You did well with a borrow gun. <laughs> oh, man. I wonder if Randy ever looked back and regretted lending you that firearm at the time. Probably, but you know something? He's one of those athletes that goes, God damn, I got beat by a guy who shot better than I did. Yeah. Then he came along and thumps me all the time now. So yeah. vengeance is mine. <laughs> <laughs> One of the times at the World Shoot in Florida, they came up to me and they said, we want to do a, a group conversation with a bunch of people who are at the match with some of the top shooters from around the different countries. It was Rob Latham. It was myself. I don't think Todd Jarrett was at that one. So they said, sure, we'd like you to be on the podium with these guys. I said, okay, how long do you want? And they said, well, what do you mean? Well, how long do you want me to talk? Five seconds, five minutes, five hours, five days. You pick. And I always feel the warmth in the room when I stand up at one of our meetings and I say, I'd like to know here, oh God. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's something I like to do. I like to share my knowledge. And I always tell guys, uh, if, if you need an answer, call me. If I don't know the answer, I'll send you to somebody I know can, can help you. Uh, if I know it, I'm not trying to keep secrets. Right. I'll tell you everything I, I can to help you be successful and get involved in the sport. And as I tell all my classes, when I share my information with you, it's not about you. It's all about me. 
Mm-hmm. Because if I get you involved, you're going to pick up the workload somewhere and I don't have to do something. <laughs> if I manage things well, I don't pick up anything. I just listen to reports. That's what a good manager is, right? God, I hope. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, how can people get in touch with you? There's a couple of ways. You can go to the infamous mdgardner.com webpage. Uh, there's a thing there that says, call me. I'm big on the telephone, old guy. Email me. I respond. Text me. Never hear from me again. Right. Not a text guy. And somewhere a buddy of mine is laughing because he knows he texts me, but he puts a dollar sign in and he knows I'll look. <laughs> so not a text guy, but an email guy. Yeah. And telephone. Because I found when I answered a question on email, it raised two more. Mm. Well, that domino just kept going and going. A pyramid kept building. I said, just phone me. In 10 minutes, I give you all the answers you need. You don't have to type. And my fingertips aren't bloody from pounding on a keyboard. Mm-hmm. With technology changing, mm-hmm. the advancements in IPSC and your own personal business, yeah. how do you find keeping up with that? Pretty easy. I just stay in my old rut. Yeah. Every now and then, they drag me into the 21st century kicking and screaming. Yeah. You know, I found some things. Like when the tablet training came along for scoring, I looked at that and went, absolutely. And IPSC BC, our provincial organization, put aside $25,000 last year. So we have kits in six zones in the province. So when you're in Prince George and you use a tablet and you go to the island the next weekend, it's the same tablet and printer. When you go to the Kootenays the next weekend, same tablet and printer. Hmm. And we return to our members. We were financially very sound in IPSC, BC. So we return it to the members. They get a return on their investment. And when the technology changes, we're just changing our webpage now. We're uh, IPSC, right. BC webpage. We're going to do online memberships. You know, we're wrestling through some of that, but we're going to relook at that, update it. Yeah, that's something I think we could probably help IPSC BC with as well, too. Well, and they should come to you. And I, I think that's that's good if both groups reach out to each other. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I don't think I've got all the best ideas in the world. I like my ideas. Sure. But if somebody's got a better one, I'll steal that from you in a heartbeat. Yeah, no, you know, that's the same thing we tell everyone, too. So here, here's the idea that we have. Here's a solution that we have in place. But if someone else can do it better, go with them. Use yeah, them. That yeah, only makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on this podcast. Really appreciate your time. I mean, that's our most precious commodity is our time. And you've. Uh... I'm 71. You're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I better book you in for another podcast quickly if we want to make sure we get more here. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, t- let's go to lunch and come back. We'll do another one. You that's know right. I'm still around. <laughs> I love it. Now, anytime. I love to do it. And uh, happy to share with the audience and yourself anything I can about shooting, shooting sports, uh, my perspective on business, whatever it takes. I'll awesome. share it. Awesome, Murray. Thanks. My pleasure. And that concludes this episode of the Silver Core Podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>